Hey, good morning, everybody. Come on in and grab a seat. It's good to be with you all today. Good news, everybody. The timer on the back projector is working. So now I know how far I will go over when I'm talking, which is good to know. well, welcome. We're glad you're here. It's a beautiful day. It's good to be with you. Uh, yeah, welcome. We're, we're going through our, we're kind of wrapping up our series talking about the church and about this community. Um, and uh, we titled it Life Together. And so today we're going to kind of progress in that process of learning a little bit more about the church. What does it mean? Why does it exist? Um, how does it get to its most genuine place? And uh, Today we're going to talk about belonging within the community, but before we do that, I did want to share some, some big life news. As you all know, um, my wife had a baby a month ago, and there she is. Yes. Uh, yeah, she's doing awesome. She's about a month old and a month and a few days, so she's back there with my sister-in-law, Carrie, who's keeping her asleep, which is good. Um, yeah, we're really, really blessed. It's been, uh, it's been interesting. You know, we have three kids now, and so it's kind of an interesting transition uh, from everything. And I think, like, when Ollie was born, our middle child, I think I just wasn't aware of that, like, at all. I don't remember anything about Ollie being a newborn at all, which is unfortunate. Um, so this one, I'm like, this is what having a newborn is like. Was it really not that long ago we had one? I don't remember it being like this at all. But she's doing awesome and it's great and we are really appreciative for those of you guys who brought us meals we want to say thank you so much for the meal train that we got it was awesome we're still working our way through it so it's great for those of you who didn't bring us meals you're dead to me obviously um so see when you have a baby what happens um no, but seriously, thank you guys so much. It's such a, it's so cool. I kind of argue that like having the meal train is like worth having the baby in and of itself. I don't know if my wife would agree with that, but I, I agree with it. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much, everybody. And um, yeah, we're super blessed. It's good to be here. It's good to be with everybody. So if you would, um, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 13. So we're going to be there. We've got a little bit of time until we're going to get to that passage. And we're going to be in Galatians as well. Uh, so last week, uh, we kind of run through a few, like, overview of, like, where we've been in this series. We've talked a little bit about what the church means, like, in definition, in terms of uh, the identity of it, the early church. We took a look at that. We said, when the church is at its infancy and its honeymoon phase, here's what it looks like. Here what, here's what characterizes it. And within that, there wasn't, like, a command to do something. We just simply wanted to look at what was it like when people started doing church, and what does that mean? And what does it mean to go to church and be a part of a church? And then we had some awesome speakers in the month of July that came through and just talked about their highlights. What was their, what's their favorite part about the church? And, and last, um, I think it was two weeks ago, Sergio, um, our, our in-house barista and coffee roaster, his brother, um, came and shared a little bit about healing. And we're going to kind of continue that process in the terms of belonging. But before I do that, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Jesus, we're so thankful for... Um, the church. We're thankful for the people that you bring around us, our community. And we also, Lord, recognize that your church is in um, a unique time right now in our culture. Um, So, Lord, I pray for us, God, that um, we would find that balance in our life about being um, critical versus being constructive, Lord. Allow us to see flaws and work towards um, health and completion, God. 
instead of living our lives fragmented and in critique, Lord. Um, we know that you've designed us as human beings, as your creation, made in your image to be in community as you have existed in community and do exist in community, God. And so we pray um, that within that we would find our value, Lord, not in status or in um, our brokenness or in our, um, our worth in anything other than you, Jesus. So I pray that you would help us to come back to that today. Would you lead us into healing today? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There is a baseball field in Kansas City, Missouri that celebrates some of the greatest baseball players of all time. Some names you will know, others will be foreign to you, as they were to me not too long ago. Arrayed in a typical diamond configuration, the field consists of the greatest players at their respected positions. First base, Buck Leonard. Second base, Pop Lloyd. Shortstop, Judy Johnson. Third base, Ray Dandridge. Left field, Cool Papa Bell. Center field, Oscar Charleston. Right field, Leon Day. Catching, Josh Gibson. And pitching, Satchel Page. If this list seems foreign to you, it should. No doubt, if given the option of creating our own field of greatest baseball players, we would have chosen other worthy candidates. But this field is unique. It's hundreds of miles from Cooperstown, New York, home of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And it sits inside the Negro League Hall of Fame. And it celebrates the greatest players to play in the Negro League, a league that ran in tandem to the respective major leagues from 1937 to 1961 a league of some of the greatest players you've never heard of. And why haven't you heard of them? Simply because it existed during a time of intense racial segregation in our country. And these players, not seen for their talent, but for the color of their skin, were not allowed to play in Major League Baseball. So the question is, what does it mean to belong? What does it take to belong to a group? Do you have to think the same, dress the same, talk the same, Do you have to hide part of who you are to be a member? Are there written and unwritten codes that you have to abide by? A lack of belonging wrecks an individual, and it also costs the group something as well. In 2017, the Surgeon General Vivek H. Murthy called the lack of belonging in society a growing health epidemic. And went on to state that rates of loneliness have doubled since the 1980s. And according to Barna Research, around a quarter of Americans who were recently surveyed stated that they frequently felt lonely, meaning they often felt devoid of meaningful, emotionally intimate relationships. Sociological researchers and medical experts now realize that we are experiencing a loneliness epidemic, and most of this is pre-COVID. One sociological and educational researcher cites this former US, U.S. Surgeon General saying that studies have shown that loneliness, chronic loneliness, poses a greater health risk than obesity and is comparable to smoking one pack of cigarettes a day. This loneliness has now gotten so bad that in the U.K. they recently instituted the title of Minister of Loneliness to address this growing health crisis and threat to well-being. But why does our world struggle with loneliness in a time when we're more interconnected than ever? And how is the Jesus community called to respond to that? One sociologist pointed the issue to the fact that individuals have a need to belong in society that emphasizes conformity over belonging. 
We want you to assimilate to something rather than appreciate the uniqueness of who you are and yet still be a part of that. This idea is further illustrated by uh, a well-known sociologist named uh, Abraham Maslow, or psychologist, sociologist. Um, and he has this theory, as may called the hierarchy of needs. He says to be a fully, to really realize who you are and your genuine self, you need some steps to be healthy. Um, so this is what it said, he says. And this is a secular perspective, right? So I don't want you to look at this and go, this is just total fact, 100%. But it's worth taking into account that after years of study, Abraham Maslow kind of came to this as his idea. And it's often portrayed as a pyramid, which I think is a little bit, unfortunately, deceiving, right? It says, okay, there's a lot of people that are down here working towards their, like, physical well-being, but there's not a lot of people at the top self-actualizing. And that's not really true. What it means is you need certain things to take place before you can be in your active, full potential self, okay? He says that there are physiological needs. There's food, water, warmth, and rest. If you can't have that, you can't progress up. I think it goes on to say that you have safety needs. You need safety and security. You need to feel like you are safe to progress forward. And then there's this thing called belonging somewhere in the middle. Everybody has a deep desire and need to belong to a community and have intimate relationships and friendships. And from there, you go to esteem. You're accomplishing. You're working forward. You're progressing. And then at the top, you reach your full um, potential. Now... What this is basically saying is what the community of Christ is known for a long period of time. You need each other. You need community. We are designed for it. We have to have it. And without it, we can't move forward. We could have physiological needs met. We could have our safety needs met. And yet to become our full potential, we really can't go there until we have this sense of belonging and healthy community. So we're going to focus a little bit on step three here. And Maslow argues that in essence we cannot move forward up the staircase until these previous steps are met. We know that Jesus' community emphasizes that as well. And one of the issues is what hinders our belonging. We live in a society that at times emphasizes achievement and appearances over actual deep, meaningful social interaction. In some cases, our society emphasizes conforming to a group over meaningful social interaction. We would rather a person achieve and be accepted or appear to achieve in order to be accepted and thus value their achievement over the simple fact that they are made in God's image and are human beings. Now, like I said, we're talking about this idea of community and church. So as a secular perspective brings this up, we talk about all these different ideas about what the world is saying about community, what the world is saying about loneliness. Uh, and belonging. And now we've got to transition to what we know to be true about belonging and emotionally intimate connection. Let's go to John chapter, I think I said 13, but I meant 17. There is a great verse in John 13. Now, they're all great verses, but John 13 has some good ones too. Uh, John 17, verse 11. During his high priestly prayer, Jesus prays this for the community. He kind of intervenes in behalf between God and his people. He's praying for them. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Scroll down to verse 20. If you're on your phone, you would scroll. If you're not, you would just, you know, pan down with your finger. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through your word, the future believers after this point, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. In them, and, I, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So even in Jesus' words, from the words of his mouth, he says, my, one of my greatest desires for the people that you're going to have as a part of your community is they would be one, complete, together, one entity. So we know that Jesus puts a strong emphasis on community, a strong emphasis on being one, unique in the different characteristics and yet valuable in and of itself. So what I want to do really quick is look at a couple, is define a couple terms for you. I want to talk about dignity and human dignity and belonging. What that means, we're going to use that in a little bit, so I want to make sure you understand kind of what we're talking about. So we talk about dignity. Here's what we mean, and if you, I, I talked about this in a sermon like six months ago, so if you heard it before, great, but if you're, if you're like, this is the first time I've heard of this, then good. Define dignity. It's a state or quality of being worthy of honor and respect. And then human dignity the recognition that human beings possess a special value intrinsic to their humanity and as such are worthy of respect simply because they're human beings, or we would say, made in God's image. And then belonging. It's an affinity or a liking for a space or a situation. A sense of belonging is the feeling of security and support when there is acceptance, inclusion, and identity for a member of a certain group. A person can be their authentic self. So the question is, if we recognize that society struggles with belonging, people are struggling to think they're a part of a group or a part of a community, the church enters and says, we are a community in a society that is fragmented. What does the church do to kind of come together like that? And I, and I want to point back to a great quote that I read um, in this book, Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. He says that like, our greatest desire at the core of us, we really dig down past all the peripheral stuff, we dig to the core of who we are. He says that our greatest desire is to be known and loved. Because I want you to think about that for a second. Greatest desire in our human being is to be known and loved. And our greatest fear is not to be unknown and unloved. Our greatest fear is to be known and not loved. To be authentic about ourselves and yet feel rejected. And that's a desire in our culture to know that we are accepted and appreciated. Take your Bible and flip over to Galatians 3.28. In Galatians, Paul is talking to a community of believers that's struggling to understand its relationship to the law and to tradition in a Jewish culture. And Paul is communicating to them the need to understand that these old ways and practices of organizing our social structure have dissolved, and now we're in this different community. So look at Galatians 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's our word again, one. And if you are Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs to the promise. So in that passage, Paul isn't dissolving the idea of gender. He isn't dissolving the idea of being slave or free. What he's saying is the old way of defining who we are and our value in society is not defined by these things that we have to either have or don't have or be a part of. He says, in Jesus, everybody comes forward and is accepted equally as one. 
To become one, we can't have ways that we divide ourselves amongst each other. So Paul says that. So if we're going to really become a community that desires belonging, then the first thing we have to do is practice authentic belonging over conditional belonging. And I talked about this like a few months ago, but I want to quickly go through it one more time because I think it's valuable. How do we talk about what it means to authentically belong versus conditional belonging? So here's just a few. This is like not an exhaustive list, but here's some characteristics. One, conditional belonging looks like conforming to a group over the collective humanity. We want people to talk, act, think, feel the same way that I feel. When everybody does that together, we all are one. But that's not really, that doesn't mean that each individual is valuable for who they are. So we don't want conformity. Instead, we want unity, but not sameness. One of the things that makes the community of Christ so important, so valuable, is that there are varying ideas. Not everybody in this room voted the same way in the last election. Not everybody in this room believes the same thing about family and way that they discipline their children. That's a different way of doing things. We don't want sameness. We want as a unifying idea about who we are. Then two, one of the conditional belongings is labeling an individual as something they are not based upon assumption. Labeling is a, there's an idea called labeling theory. An individual came up with that. It basically said when you label somebody, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you label somebody as acting a certain way or thinking a certain way based upon your first impression of them, then they'll never kind of move out of that category. But as the community of Christ, we're kind of called to go, I'm not going to label anybody as other than that they're loved by Jesus. And so we pull back the label and establish that initial label of love and compassion because of Jesus. That becomes unconditional belonging. And then three, dehumanization of individuals who disagree with our perspective. If you run to somebody in the church and they disagree with how you think about the world around you, we dehumanize them, make them seem as less than human because it allows for us to be in conflict with them genuinely. Instead, that's a conditional belonging. But unconditional belonging would say we emphasize our human dignity, made in God's image, people who bear God's image. Another conditional belonging would be achievement as the basis for our value. And think about this not in terms of like financial or monetary achievement, but think about it in terms of like Christ process sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. If we see somebody progressing and getting better, then our value becomes, wow, they're just an amazing, holy person. And instead, we have to look at our achievement as this, or worse, we look at our life and go, I gotta get to that next step. But you can't get there if you don't belong. We have to receive our value, not work for it. And then last, this freedom to opt out. The conditional belonging says, listen, when you have a situation that comes up in your church and you, know, you have a disagreement with someone, you just leave. You just go, eh, I don't like it. I'm out. You split. But unconditional belonging would say that that is actually a flawed perspective. And I think that Jesus' community would establish within us the desire to stay in community even when there is conflict. And I think that's part of our culture. We kind of like run away from any sort of tension or conflict when Jesus is saying, be in it. Stay in it together. Work through it. There's something to say about a community that desires to stay as one entity as opposed to becoming fragmented. So the first thing we do is we have to practice authentic belonging. We have to look past the peripheral, look past the service, and dig into how we, can, how we love and care for each other. And the second way that we can talk about this comes from an idea that kind of adapted from, from Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, he devotes a whole chapter to just confession and communion. 
Confession and community says that one of the key hallmarks of a community of Jesus is are they in community with each other and is that exemplified by their confession? Do they confess their sins to one another? Remember that process of healing in James chapter 5, which, which uh, Ephraim brought up a few weeks ago. It's talking about healing. And one of the ways he says you can be healed is by confessing the ways that you've broken your covenant with God with each other. I don't know if you guys, I don't, I don't know if we fully understand this sometimes. God places people in our life like to purposefully irritate us. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's an awesome uh, Volkswagen commercial out now where this guy is like, he's dressed kind of weirdly and he's got like this weird hair and he's always on his phone. He like walks out the door and then as he walks out the door, it slams behind somebody else and he's just like on his phone walking down the street and then he's walking across the street and he's on his phone and the car has that like, you know, thing that beeps before you hit somebody and it's like, you know, so it beeps and he's like, what? I'm on my phone. He's in the middle of the intersection and it's like, Traffic, like car control for those guys. We all know those people, right? Like God has sent them specifically to our life just to test how sanctified we actually are. Our relationships to other people, coworkers, friendships, family, that, that is where we really see the depth of our understanding about Jesus. And I would say like for me in this season of, of learning, like as, you know, working through what it means to, kind of have the boys more. Like, I'm not used to having our, our two boys very often. So Leon is almost five and Ollie's almost three. Um, and they, I don't know if you guys have, who are they have two kids, you know that they, like, feed off of each other. They, like, love each other. And they also, like, feed off of each other. So they're like, we're best friends. And we're also mortal enemies, like, simultaneously. And you're like, what is happening over here? Um, and so I'm not, like, I'm not used to that. Like, I'm not, like, it's, you know, working all day and then, you know, coming home with the kids. But the process. Yeah, you'll get it, Andrew. You're gonna, you'll get there, man. Yeah. Adam, right? Adam. Andrew. Okay. Yeah, I got it. I was half right. Okay. Uh, but the idea that, like, I realized in this season that, like, it's not all about me, which took me 34 years and six years of marriage and three kids to, like, finally realize that that was the case, you know? And I still struggle with that. And, it, like, I didn't know I was, like, an angry person and I'm like maybe I have some stuff that I need to work on maybe I have some brokenness in my life that I need to figure out and maybe I need to let like my stuff go so I can be a good father and a good husband but I think that's important to like have that authentic authenticity about each other to be able to share that and not feel like whoa like you yell at your kids I've never yelled at my kids ever like we just have a great discourse back and forth I tell them once one time and they do something and it's great we never have any issues um but the reality of our life being such that the community of Christ has to be a place where we feel like we can talk about that and we can work through it together. But our society kind of has called out any sort of mistake somebody makes and goes, well, you made a mistake, therefore you are now that mistake for the rest of your life. You can never move forward or progress or be healed or work through something. And the community does that too. Whoa, whoa, whoa that, well, that pastor did this 10 years ago? No, I'm leaving the church. Instead of being like, let's try to understand how we can like, still exist together. The church is so fragmented right now. And I don't know if you guys, I don't know if we understand t- truly the fact that like, society has taken the church and put it on blast. Just like, here's the church. The church is broken. It's flawed. Everybody's messed up. And all these mega church pastors are falling. And that's true. And that's happening. And it's sad. And it's broken. There's also like, thousands of other pastors who are like, legitimately just loving their church and caring for their church. And that's awesome. We can look to that as the example more and more. But how do we individually get to this place of being like authentic in our belonging? Well, in confession, 
Bonhoeffer talks about this. One of the best ways for us to experience a true sense of belonging is to practice confession. In the context of prayer, healing, and faith, James admonishes the people of faith to pray and experience healing and forgiveness by confessing sins to one another, that they may be healed. That's actually the language that he uses. Confession gives us an opportunity to experience being known fully and being loved. So much of the light that Jesus is best experiences through compassion, love, forgiveness, both in expression and experience. When you come to somebody and tell them, you say, hey, I'm really sorry, like, I let you down. And not like I yelled at you, like I lied to you yesterday about this. Here's what actually happened. And that person next to you doesn't go, what? Get out. Instead, they go, I want you to experience forgiveness. I want to move forward and progress. It's such an important aspect of church life that Bonhoeffer, when he's in this underground pastoral training school in Nazi Germany, he devotes a whole chapter to saying confession and communion. And much of what he wants to communicate is to understand that our experiences and practices with each one, each other mirror our relationships with the Lord. The reality of the community of Christ is that we are full of people who are falling short and yet forgiven and loved. Okay? But sin's desire is to break community. Do you understand that? Sin wants to... The devil doesn't want, he's not going to do these big things to disrupt. He's going to do little things to fragment your community just a little bit. It's like that crack in the windshield just kind of slowly spreads. And then before you know it, it's all just completely messed up. So one, the enemy would desire for us to be a community who feels uncomfortable sharing our sin. And two, when people do express their sin, they experience shame and regret other than forgiveness and love. If we're looking to be condi- conditional our belonging, then that's what the devil would want. But if we want to be unconditional, that's what Jesus would call us into. And Bonhoeffer says this is just like such a great quote, just a simple line. The pious fellowship allows no one to be a sinner. I want to say that one more time. The pious fellowship allows no one to be a sinner. And sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. And the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. When you sin, your desire is, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk to anybody else about it. I just want to exist in it and move on. That actually fractures your community and puts you in a place where you can never truly belong because of something that you are experiencing. And he says this long quote. Bonhoeffer says, this is a long quote, so just settle in. Since the confession of sin is made in the presence of a Christian brother, the last stronghold of self-justification is abandoned. The sinner surrenders. He gives up all of his evil. He gives his heart to God and he finds forgiveness of all his sin in the fellowship of Jesus Christ and his brother. The expressed, acknowledged sin has lost all its power. It has been revealed and judged as sin. It can no longer tear the fellowship asunder. Now the fellowship bears the sin of the brother. The sin concealed separated him from fellowship and made all his apparent fellowship a sham. The sin confessed has helped him to find true fellowship with the brethren in Jesus Christ. It's a long quote, but it's fitting. When we express our sin to each other and confess it, it loses its power. Because its desire is to pull us apart from people and isolate us and take away that sense of belonging. When it's confessed, accepted, and forgiven, we move into greater depth in community. 
Now, confession requires something from us. And it's something that, quite frankly, I don't think in our culture we're that good about, and it's vulnerability. So, number one, we practice authentic belonging over conditional belonging. Two, we practice confession. And three, we practice vulnerability. Uh, my wife and I had a conversation this, like, a couple weeks ago where I was just kind of like, you know, just, I'm trying to figure out, like, what to do in this season. Um, and so she's like, you should call up some people who have kids, who have, like, three kids, and they've kind of been through it, and, and ask them how it went. And I'm like, I really don't want to do that, because I call them and talk to them, they're going to know they don't have it all together. And that's kind of how I'm keeping this thing going, you know? Uh, but it was so funny, because I, I talked to, like, four or five people about it, and most of them were like, yeah, I have no idea. They were like, you're just in it. And I'm like, all right. So that's very unhelpful. Uh, and doesn't really make me feel any better, but okay. Uh, and I talked to Brett. I called Brett and I said, hey, I'm just trying to figure out, like, you know, when this season, like, what do you do? And, and he was really honest with me. He's like, yeah, it is just a season where you're, you're in it and you're trying to figure stuff out. And he gave me some helpful tips. But again, if I don't feel like I can come to Brett and have that conversation with him as a friend, then there's a part of me that's holding back who I am. And when I do that, I make belonging conditional. I make my belonging conditional. I'm not operating fully in who I am in Jesus, and I'm not experiencing that forgiveness because everybody said the same thing, which was awesome. Like, yeah, it's a really tough season. Um, A recent sociologist stated that the core of belonging is vulnerability. To have true belonging and to authentically belong means that people have to practice being vulnerable. And that means you have to be okay with the fact that your life is a mess at times. You have to be okay with talking about that with people, no matter where you're at in life. And Jesus calls us into that. Remember, our walk with Jesus is not pulled apart from our relationship with people. It is intertwined with it. We experience forgiveness and compassion when we are able to vocalize our hurt. Vulnerability is where belonging begins. So we have a choice, right? We experience we're going through a difficult time or we're hurting or we're trying to figure stuff out. We can hide. We can numb our vulnerability. But this sociologist and this scientist said something totally provocative. They said, when you try to numb your emotions, you can't selectively numb emotion. Think about that for a second. When you try to numb your hurt and your pain, you also numb your joy. So you can't experience life fully without having both ends of the spectrum. There are seasons that are hard and difficult and challenging. There's also seasons that are great and loving. And sometimes we get into, we get into prayer groups and everybody's like, oh man, I got to talk about all the stuff I got to work on. I got to talk about all the ways I messed up this week. And nobody's ever like, actually, life's not going that bad. And you're like, because nobody wants to be that person that's like super like weirdly joyful. And it's like, that's actually valuable in the community of Christ. We actually appreciate that. Like when Sabine brought the, Sabina brought the food over to our house, I would like love just a sermon, like an audience that's just Sabina. Because she laughs at all my jokes. And not like, oh, it's so funny. Like, I mean, deep, like seated joy laughs. And I'm like, this, I like want this in my life more and more. And that's so valuable, Right. Yeah, you got the tough stuff, but you also have the good things. So sometimes part of vulnerability is actually talking about how things are going well and how you're enjoying life and not being afraid of people being like, oh, that's just false joy, whatever. You're newly married. You only got one kid, whatever, all right? <laughs> it's actually more to be like, and accept that and appreciate that for what it is. But we can't selectively numb that. We can't go, I'm just going to drink this beer so I can numb my hurts. No, in doing so, you numb your joy. 
You numb your gratefulness. Oh, I'm just going to, you know what? I know I'm going through a hard season. I'm not going to call my friend to talk about it. I'm not going to pray about it. Instead, I'm just going to like watch Netflix for six hours. And then maybe that problem won't be there when I'm done. No. We have to sit in it and embrace it. So it calls on us on one hand to be in that season where we can air it out. But also to know like it's okay to have good seasons and it's okay to share those as well. So let's wrap up here. Go to Galatians chapter 6. You should have already been in Galatians. Okay. Uh, yeah, like 30 minutes ago. Okay. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Let's just like sit on that for a second. Just kind of like, okay, wait a minute. Caught in any transgression. Any transgression? Any transgression? Any transgression. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You don't think you're messed up? You don't think you're broken? You don't think you're working through stuff? Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. He tells this community that's struggling with understanding the law. You want to fulfill the law of Christ? Bear burdens with your brothers and sisters. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each, each one test his own work. And when, when he has reason to boast, will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let's think about this for a second. Our culture would love to build up the pastor of the church and then slam him down. Instead of saying, whoa, This pastor is a human being made in God's image, a follower of Jesus, who messed up and screwed up, and now it's our job as a body of Christ to actually go through the process of restoring them together. And that means the church has to get over itself a little bit and accept the fact that a pious community can't allow sin to exist. But sin exists because we're human beings. When was the last time you sat with somebody who was going through a hard season and just walked with them through that together. I know it's so hard, but think about like families that are struggling to get by or that are going through a separation or a divorce and they have a, a spouse that doesn't want to go to counseling or doesn't want to get any help. Think about the brokenness that exists there. So instead our church goes, oh, you're divorced? Oh, you're separated? You better not come to church because we got it all together around here. And you're going to mess up our like perfect thing. We can't have that. But what if the church said, you're going through a hard season, can we just come around you and support you and walk through this with you? We know it's hard, we know it's difficult, we know it's murky, we know it's muddy, but can we be in that with you and support you in that? That's so hard to do, but the church has to become that place. If not, community exists in other fragmented realities somewhere else. So Jesus calls us to be this community of authentic relationship where we practice confession we practice vulnerability. We're okay receiving prayer. We don't duck praying with people because it's awkward, but we sit in it and we exist in it. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, Michael's going to come up and kind of walk us through um, a little bit of a practice um, together. Let's have a, a notion of us as a church about striving to become an authentic belonging community. Let's practice confession with each other. Let's express our brokenness and our joy and our goodness, all of it together mixed into one big community 
that isn't afraid of sin, but it says, God, we know it's here. We want to work through it together. Jesus, we thank you for the people you've placed around us. We thank you, God, that our um, relationship with you is so intertwined and intricately intertwined with our relationship with each other. We love you, Jesus. May that love that we have for you and that desire to be loved by you bleed out into our relationships with each other. When we experience forgiveness this week, may we experience acceptance this week. May we experience love and joy in the hard conversations. And will you build us up and into a community that experiences this life together in a belonging community, each unique, each valuable, and loved and made in your image. Bless us this week with that knowledge. Help us to practice it. In your name I pray, amen.